Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Colin Santafe. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. Amazing. So um, we're going to jump right into things today. And I have a word that I've been thinking about uh, all week, and I'm really believing that it's going to be something that uh, encourages you and blesses you. And so if you're taking notes today, which I really do want to encourage you to do because it's just easy to remember, uh, jump to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. And this is what Paul has to say. He says, Do not be anxious or worried, but in everything, in every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. In the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. Finally, believers, whatever is true, honorable, respectable, right, confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is right and, con- or right and confirmed by God's word, I read that, whatever is lovely and brings peace is admirable. And he goes on and on and on. Anything that's worthy of praise, think continually on these things. These things which you have learned and received and heard from me, practice them daily and in the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word, that your word isn't just a bunch of theories, it's not abstraction, and it's not distance, but it's actually applicable and relevant to our everyday lives. And so I pray as we open up your word today that it would be so relevant, so applicable to each one of our situations and circumstances today, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, hey, I've noticed um, over the years um, that there's a lot of people who have a very cavalier relationship towards life. Um, Like they just have kind of no concern about anything that's happening in their lives whatsoever. I don't know if you've met people like that. They just kind of like go with the flow. Um, Now, I'd like to think that I have a fairly high situational awareness, very low emotional awareness, but I have a very high situational awareness. And this has actually led me to really kind of worry about a lot of things in life that most people aren't concerned with. One of the things that I used to be terrified of, and maybe it's coming to light again because I'm going to be flying soon, like tomorrow, but I used to be terrified of flying. Um, And when I mean terrified, like I am, I was, see I'm saying it in faith, I was really scared of flying. And this is the thing is, I think because of my awareness, I hear things and see things that aren't really happening. And, and the airlines don't help at all. Like, they really don't. Like, stewardesses, I find, have the most nervous smile in the world. And so I'm looking and scanning all of their faces. Like, how are they feeling? Is this an optimistic tone? Are we going to make it through? And this is my big gripe, is pilots. I know there's somebody in here who's a pilot. So I'm not directing this at you or at Canada. But... Um, <laughs> They never seem to know like they know what's going on. Like, like every time they come on the intercom, they're hearing things. Like it's almost like this is their first time doing it. And so you'll hear them. They'll come on and be like, okay, well, we're going to Phoenix. It's going to be 25 degrees. And I just read through the user manual. We should be fine. I'm like, whoa, like I need a whole lot more assurance than you just gave me. Now, this is the thing. The real catalyst for this whole kind of fear was this one trip. I was going from Halifax back to Ottawa, 
and we're in this plane, and literally, we hit some crazy turbulence, like turbulence like I've never experienced, like the plane is moving sideways, it's like dropping down all of a sudden, so we go down, and the plane is going crazy, and then all of a sudden, we're almost there, like we're just about to land, I'm feeling this sense of relief, and all of a sudden, the plane shoots up in the air, now I'm like, okay, like I can deal with this, like I can, I can make it through this, we go down a second time, and, and I kid you not, every time I tell this story, it gets closer and closer to the ground. It's like, it was 25 feet from the ground. It wasn't, but it felt like that. And literally, we're just there. We can see road signs, plane shoots up again, and all of a sudden, it turned into an African prayer meeting. Like, every single person was, like, crying. People are praying out loud. And I kid you not, this is a true story. I look over the aisle across, and every, like, there's pandemonium in the plane. Like, people are nervous. And there's this one lady watching this documentary of planes crashing. I'm like, are you, are you serious right now? <clears throat> no lack of concern, no, no awareness of anything that was happening. And so we landed, we got rerouted to Toronto. I got out of the, like, I got out of the plane. I met some people. We drove home together through the night, which is probably more dangerous in hindsight than just getting back on the plane. But then I'll have friends, and I'll be like, man, I, I'm kind of nervous behind them. Just be like, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Like, no, don't worry about it, man. Like, apparently all of my friends are from California, and their names are like Dusty and Chance, and they <laughs> live on the beach. But they'll be like, no, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. And when somebody tells me don't worry about it, that is cause for deep concern in my mind. Does anybody else feel the same way? That is like cause for deep concern. Don't worry about it. Whatever follows, I'm going to worry. And yet Paul, he's writing this passage, and he's writing it in prison of all places, and he doesn't just say, don't worry about it, whatever it is for you. He says, no, no, don't worry about anything. Have you ever really given that some thought? He just, no, 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 don't, don't worry about anything in this life. And I think about that, and I go, how can we do that? How can you say that, Paul? I mean, even think about our age right now. There was a study that was published by the, the National Post last year, and it said that 41% of Canadians struggle with anxiety, and a third of them are actually clinically diagnosed. So, Paul, how can you just say, don't worry about anything? Anxiety and worry fills our society, and think about it. This is the fastest our society has ever moved. We have more information than we've ever known. We can see anything and everything that's happening in the world all at once, all the worst of it, all the best of it. And then not only that, we're just trying to live life, like paying bills, having a family, working a job, having pursuits. All of these things can be cause for worry. Think about even Paul's audience. An audience in antiquity for a lot of these people, I mean, imagine being a farmer. If you broke your leg, that could literally be the end for your family. If your house was robbed, there was no insurance. There was, there was no safety net. And so Paul is talking to these people who may very well as Christians be also facing persecution. And he says, no, no, don't worry about anything. And here's the thing. Don't worry about it is the easiest advice to give and the hardest to apply to yourself. I mean, all of us at some point have said, yeah, no, no, don't worry about it. No, no, it's going to be fine. But no, what about you? Yeah, yeah, don't worry about your marriage. No, no, don't worry about, I know, I know it's been three months trying to find a job. Savings are getting thin. Don't worry about it. Man, I haven't talked to that person in so long. Don't worry about it. And I think when we actually take inventory 
of what Paul's saying, it's a little bit harder of a pill to swallow. And so my question is, is in an age of anxiety, in an age of worry, in an age where we're preoccupied with so many things that can take our attention, how can we actually apply these words that Paul is saying? How can we actually live out what Paul is saying? Because Paul is looking at this, and he's writing from prison of all places, and he says, no, no, don't worry about anything. And there's actually this peace that can transcend your understanding. See, I think a lot of people, when it comes to peace, are are thinking about the next vacation. A lot of people, when they're thinking about all their worries, are just going, how can I avoid them? Man, how how can I make it to the spa again? How can I just get that drink after work? How can I just come down and relax in front of the TV? And nobody's really dealing with the actual issues. And Paul is saying, but wait a second, as Christians, there's actually this peace that transcends what you even know and understand. It transcends the avoidance, the vacations, all of these things that we use to medicate the worry and the anxiety in our lives. And so this is really what I want to explore, this idea of worry and anxiety with the time we have, and hopefully unpack this verse to see what we can actually apply and how we can truly take that statement, don't worry about anything, that Paul tells us to take. Now, I want to uh, make some caveats in this, in this conversation before we get too far into it. Firstly, when I say don't worry, it doesn't mean a lack of planning. That's not what I'm prescribing here. It's like just kind of like a, you know, quesera, whatever will be, will be, laissez-faire, like just, okay, well, don't worry about anything, don't plan for anything. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the conversation is going to be about. It's not going to be about passivity, just letting life happen to you and just kind of taking the punches as they come. And it's actually also not avoidance, okay? I'm not going to tell you here today that your problems aren't real. Like, you do, and we all have real challenges and real problems, and today we're going to walk through them, not walk around them. So we're not talking about kind of avoidance and like just kind of getting around the anxiety. We're not talking about just kind of letting life happen to you. What I want to do is talk about what I think the Bible has to say about worry. And secondly, you also, for you today, worry may be not just a place that you visit. It might be a place that you live in. Anxiety might be a place that you live in. And maybe for you, you're anxious even about small, inconsequential things all, all the time. Maybe for you, it's really impairing your ability to work or engage in real relationships. I want to encourage you, if that's your situation and that's your story, also go see a doctor or go see a counselor or a professional. You know, just in the same way, if we were to have a conversation around principles to healthy living, that wouldn't preclude somebody who has a broken leg from seeing a doctor. And yet sometimes I think when it comes to mental health, we'll go, okay, well, this is the only, it's like, no, if you're... If you're really going through something that's super acute or maybe very chronic, go see somebody and talk to somebody. I really do believe that what we're going to talk about today is actually going to free a lot of people from that. But don't ever feel like, oh, now I can't talk to a professional. It's like, that's not at all what I'm saying. So go talk to one, all right? Cool. So, hey, this is my first point if you're taking notes. God cares, so keep him in the picture. God cares... So keep him in the picture. You know, another person who talked about anxiety was actually Jesus. And he says almost the exact same thing as Paul. But I love Jesus' take on it because he actually fills in some some of the gaps in the context around what worry actually does at the end of the day. 
Let's read Matthew 6.25. This is what he says. He says, just like Paul, this is why I'm telling you, but he's going to actually give us the why behind why we shouldn't worry. He says, this is why I tell you to not worry about everyday life, whether you're going to have enough food or clothes or anything like that. Isn't life more than food? Isn't your body more than clothing? Right away, Jesus is setting up the scenario to go, look, I think sometimes worry can become this all-consuming thing. But there's actually a whole lot of life that's happening outside of the thing that's preoccupying you with your worry and anxiety. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Well, there's a couple reasons, but why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And this is the part, if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown out in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. You know, I think right off the bat, one of the things that I see in this is actually a statement of value. That if we read the reread that first part, look at the birds, they don't plant or harvest. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So right off the bat, we have to be reminded today, and we have to contextualize our worries in the fact that God actually values who we are. You know, where there's value, it actually comes with a security. I remember when uh, Rebecca and I, before we got married, I, I got, um, you know, I bought a ring, like an engagement ring. Um, the price doesn't matter but it was thousands. Um, and so I had already purchased this ring and um, we were hanging out with some friends and they were, they were newly married and they're like, hey, like, do you want to go to a jewelry store, Rebecca, and we can look at rings together? And so we're there and we're looking at things and her friend is looking at me with her eyes like, hey, stupid, like, take some notes. Like, you better step up to the plate. Now, meanwhile, I'm like, I'm already good. I, I, I've got the ring. I knew exactly what she wanted because she sent me a picture and said, I want exactly this. <laughs> and so she pulls out this one ring and she's looking at it and she's, and I was like, oh, do you like that one? She's like, yeah, it's all right. I was like, oh, okay. She's like, yeah, it's rose gold, but it's a little dark. I don't really like that. I said, oh, okay, cool. I got to go to Sears for a sec. Hey, Farouk. Yeah, it needs to be really light. I don't care if you need to redo this, remake this thing, because I was invested in it because it was valuable. And in the same way, I think we have to realize when it comes to our worries, God is invested in them because you're valuable to him. And just in the same way, if God is looking at creation and going and looking at something inconsequential and saying, I value this thing, that ought to be for us as Christians a statement of our value. And with that value ought to come a new security and confidence in Jesus. I think we have to realize with whatever worries we have, we have a God who values us. We have a God who's with us, who's taking care of us. But if we keep reading, listen to what it says. It says, don't worry about your clothing. But it says at the end of this, if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. See, you're not just valuable. You're not just a piece of artwork in God's collection. But it's actually something that God cares for. You are somebody that God cares for and cares about. And see, ultimately, I think at the bottom of our worries is this really pushing God out of the, the equation. See, every point of worry 
is really looking at a future and imagining a future without God's care and value. If you really think about every anxiety that we have removes God from the the equation. Oswald Chambers said that worry is unconscious blasphemy. Another writer said that it's practical atheism because what it's doing is it's taking our future, a future that hasn't yet materialized, and looking at it and saying, this is a future without God. This is a future without God's care. This is a future without God's value. This is a future without God's intentionality. But I'm here to remind you today, with whatever your worry is today, that you still have a God who loves you. You still have a God who's placed value on you. And you still have a God who cares. I think we got to realize God cares. So don't push him away. Because ultimately, what worry does is it pushes God out and says, here's a future where it's only me. Here's a future where it's only what's happening around me. And it's a future without who's actually inside you. So God cares. So keep him in the picture. But secondly, if you're taking notes, God hears. So have the conversation. God hears, so have the conversation. Let's read it again. Philippians 4, don't be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. So think about this. Paul puts forward something super simple, but incredibly profound. He just says, in everything, bring God into the conversation. And this is an interesting paradox, because I think so often... If I take inventories of my worries in life and my anxieties, God is often the last person involved in the conversation. He's the last person invited to the conversation. Even maybe think about some of the worries that you have, because really, ultimately, there's only a few ways that we deal with worry. We either push it down, right, which just doesn't deal with anything, right? We process it. We look within ourselves and go, okay, maybe I can look within myself and I can find some sort of solution, Or we go to people, family, friends, support networks, mentors. Or really, the only other thing is we go to prayer. And I'm actually not saying that processing, um, you know, your, your worries or going to people is a bad thing. In fact, that's super important. But what we have to realize is when it comes to prayer, there's actually certain places that only prayer can access. There's certain worries that you have that your friends will never be able to truly access. See, there's certain worries that you have that you just processing it on your own, you'll never really able to find that peace that you're looking for. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in in, uh, Mark. Mark. It says that he was under great distress and anguish. But what does he do? He brings his support network. He brings his his buddies and says, hey, I need you right now. Let's start praying. And what happens is friends can't do it. They can't come through. And this is just the truth is that relationships are important. That's why he brought them along. But there's still some places where it just can't, it's just not enough. And it wasn't his friends that kept Jesus centered on his mission. It was a conversation with his father going, man, I don't know. I just need to get this off my chest. If there's any other way, God, can we explore it? And I think just like it says in Peter's, it says, cast your cares, your worries, your anxieties on God. For he cares for you. See, I think some of us actually need to develop a prayer life. We need to develop a life of conversation with God. But so often I think God is the last person brought to the conversation. And so I think we just need some honesty. 
with our anxieties. It's not coming to God just going, okay, you know, Father God, this is amazing and everything. It's like, no, I'm going through it. God, I need you right now. Man, I can't see you right now. I need your help. I'm freaked out. Man, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to this relationship. I don't know what is going to happen when it comes to my bank account. I don't know how I'm going to get this job. Man, this job that I'm feeling, the pressure that I'm under, I don't know if I can perform. God, I just, I need to cast this on you. I need to have a conversation. And that's the thing, because there's places that your friends can't go that only prayer can access. Even think about David. I think David is an incredible um, model for this. And this is the other interesting thing about this. Paul doesn't just tell us to have the conversation. He tells us how to have the conversation. He says, pray always, prayer and petition. Petition just meaning asking God something. Prayer being the conversation with God. He says, but he qualifies and says, do it with thankfulness. That's an interesting thing to put. I mean, he could have said, you should have prayer and petition with passion. You should have prayer and petition with a sense of optimism or positivity. Why does he insert thankfulness in this situation? Because I think when we bring thankfulness into our conversation with God, it actually takes our eyes off of our circumstance and it puts them back on God's character. Because it's really hard for worry to live in God's character. Even think about David. So David, we see uh, this incredible life that he lives in so many books in the Bible. But we also get David's internal dialogue, his prayers and his psalms. And we can actually place chronologically in his life 12 of his 72 psalms that he wrote. And it's interesting. The first psalm that David ever wrote, and in fact, almost all of his psalms, at the very end of them, no matter how gnarly it was, he would always thank God. His very first psalm, it was actually written after Saul the, the king of Israel at the time, was basically on the hunt for David. He goes to David's house, sends some guys, and they go to kill David. And so when you read this psalm, in Psalm 59, David is basically going, man, these guys are bloodthirsty. They're out to get me. Nobody sees me. God, have you forgotten me? I can't believe that this is happening to me. And that's basically the content of David's prayer. And then at the end, he says, but I thank you. You're my shield. You're my rock. I, I can imagine him saying that. Who knows? Maybe, maybe he had more conviction than I do. But I can imagine him saying all this stuff. He's like, yeah, but I know you're my rock and my salvation. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the interesting thing is, you look at the last psalm that we know chronologically recorded by David, Psalm 18. And it's after he defeats Saul. And it's interesting that David's prayer changes a little bit. There's still thankfulness at the bottom of the prayer, but the whole content of the body of it is all about God's character. God, I know that you're my shield. God, you've come through. God, you are our victory. God, you're our banner. God, you're our shield. And God, I thank you for everything that you've done. See, because David, all throughout his life, had built this conversation with God of taking his cares and his anxieties and giving them to God, but also saying, God, I know that you've worked in the past. I'm thankful that you've done things in the past. And when you start to do that in your lives, it starts to build a resiliency that all of a sudden towards the end of your life, when you start to mature, you can look at situations that come against you. You can look at worries and actually not go, woe is me, look at my circumstance, but go look at God's character. Because I know if he did it once, I know he can do it again. You know, I heard this story. We were in connect groups, and I go to connect groups with a guy named Tay. I don't know if he's here. He's an awesome guy. You should get to know him. And we were talking about this idea, and he told me this story of his grandparents. And he's, it was a story that he said offended him when he heard it. His grandparents were both diagnosed with cancer, 
and he was talking to them, and obviously that's a gut-wrenching thing for any family. And his, parent, his grandparents said, you know, but we're, we're thanking God through it. And his grandfather would take his hand on the chemo pills, put them on his grandmother's hand, and say, God, we thank you for this. We thank you that you're going to work something for the good. See, a prayer like that is only informed by a life of thankfulness. And by the way, if that's your situation here, you're going through something big, I'm not telling you to get on that bandwagon tomorrow and have that conviction tomorrow. But what if you could start to thank him for something? What if you could take your eyes off the situation for just a moment? And even if you're shaky on whether you believe it or not, go, but God, I know your character. No, no, but God, I know that you've done this before. God, I know that you've dealt with bigger. God, I know that I've seen you do this in other stories. Maybe you don't even have a story for yourself to locate it. Maybe you can't even look at your own life and go, I I mean, I, I, I haven't seen God's faithfulness in this area. That's why this community exists is to go whatever situation you're going through, whatever circumstance you're going through, there's actually a God who's faithful. There's a God whose character is tried and tested and true. And just in the same way that his grandparents could look at a situation like that and say, yeah, we don't have to worry about it because we know God's gutted. In the same way, when we start to have conversations with God and say, this is what I'm going through. This is my worry. This is my anxiety. But I thank you, God. It starts to build something because worry and anxiety can't live in God's character. And I wonder, have you located recently the character of God? And that's a hard thing to do, and I get it. I get that it's easy to say that. I get that it's easy to come up here and just say, yeah, like trusting God's character. When you're going, yeah, but I haven't seen any conversation when it comes to my marriage in a long time. Yeah, 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 trusting God's character. Yeah, I did on day 34 of being unemployed, but it's day 120. And now I'm really facing off with it. And you're telling me don't worry? And at the end of the day, the only defense that I can give you is I've seen it happen. And this book is full of stories of people who imperfectly decided to trust God and to thank him through it. I wonder what door thankfulness is going to open in your life. I wonder what door gratitude is going to open in your life. Because worry would like to tell us that everything is all-consuming. Worry likes to tell us that the only thing, the only uh, thing is what's going wrong. The only thing is what's out of control. But at the end of the day, we're breathing breath. At the end of the day, I think probably the vast majority of us had food on the table. And at the end of the day, each one of us who have accepted Jesus were once lost and now we're found. And maybe for you, the only strength you're going to have in some of your worries, in the depths of some of your worries, is just to say, thank you that I'm found. Thank you that you see me, God. God, thank you that you care for me. Thank you that I'm here. And it's not about you being at a certain level or having a, a certain amount of conviction, but I believe that it's about that process of daily going to God. I think that's why Paul even says, whatever is good, whatever is respectable, whatever is honorable, Anything that's worthy of praise, think about these things daily. See, I think that often the battle to anxiety, it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time show. But it's actually continual effort to go daily. I'm going to look at everything that's good and honorable and peaceable and respectable and excellent. And I'm going to find a reason to thank God. I'm going to find a reason to focus on God's character. I'm going to find a reason to see his goodness in and through this world and in and through my life. 
man, God cares and he hears. So have the conversation. And this is the beautiful thing about God. He can handle it. He can handle the depth of your heart. David threw it all on the table. And I think some of us just need to learn to have some honest prayers. Maybe there's going to be some swears in there at first. That's, that's an honest prayer sometimes. And I think sometimes we just need to level up and go, wait a second, there's nothing that he doesn't know about my life. And if he's really holding it, he can really handle it. If he's really holding it, he can really handle it. I love 1 Peter 5, 7. And I like how the Passion Translations puts it. Pour out all of your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. For he always tenderly cares for you. See, there's this theme throughout the Bible. Whenever it talks about worry, we need to realize that we have a God who cares. Not just cares about you, who actually cares for you. Who's ordering and patterning things in your life for your good. And I'm going to end on this. God reigns, so give him the territory of your heart. God reigns, so give him the territory of your heart. So Paul says when we choose not to worry, we actually choose to uphold our value that God's placed on us, we can actually get this peace that goes beyond understanding. So listen to what it says in in, um, uh, Philippians 4. Let's read it again. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding and stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. Now, I find this a very interesting thing, because this is the thing. Every point of worry is actually an invitation from God for peace. Every point of worry and anxiety in your life is actually an invitation from God to experience peace. But I think it's really interesting the words that Paul uses. That peace is going to stand guard over your heart. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I think about peace, I don't think it's synonymous with military terminology. And yet Paul in here inserts a military phrase, a military term that has to do with peace. And this isn't the first time he does it. When you look at even uh, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and the same theme, be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then it says, let the peace of God stand guard in your heart. And I find this interesting because I think a lot of people think peace is an emotion. Or peace is kind of like this state of mind. If I can just like find this state of mind, if I can fix all of the things that are broken around me, then I'll be able to have peace. Man, if I can fix this situation I'm in with my spouse, then I'm going to have peace. If I can fix what's going on at work, then I'm going to have peace. If I can fix this relationship, then I'm going to have peace. Then I'll feel peaceful. And yet, that wouldn't be a strong enough argument for what Paul is going through. I mean, Paul, when he's writing this, is in prison. Like, he's facing off with things. And this wasn't like a prison like our standards. This is a Roman jail. There's death all around him. There's filth all around him. He's been put in there for wrongful cause. He, if anybody, has reason to be worried. He says, no, no, I've got a peace in this moment that goes way beyond understanding. It goes way beyond an emotion. 
goes way beyond the next vacation. It goes way beyond the next weekend. He says, no, no, I, I found it. And it's watching guard over me. And it rules over me. See, I think peace isn't this state of mind. It's not reaching some sort of Zen kind of thing, whatever it is for you. But peace is actually territory in your heart. Peace is actually territory in your heart. Listen to what Isaiah said. A child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders and his name will be Wonderful One, Extraordinary Strategist, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, and the Prince of Peace. See, I think ultimately the battle against worry and anxiety has to do with who sits on the throne of your heart. So many people are looking for peace in their situation and their circumstance. If I can make this all neat, if I can fix everything, then I know my peace in my heart will be fixed. But it's actually really who's on the throne of your heart. Is it you or is it God? And what I've found is in my greatest worries, when I start to seed some of that territory in my heart and say, okay, God, I'm going to try to trust you here. I'm going to try to believe that you've got my best in mind. I'm going to try to believe that, that you value me, that you're here for me, that you're working on my behalf. All of a sudden, peace gets a little bit more of a foothold in my heart. And Jesus starts to rule a bit more. People are looking for peace in the world, but really I think we need to start with peace in our own hearts. Where does your sense of trust, value, and validation really come from? And if you look down the rabbit hole of that worry, you know who sits on the throne of it? Is you. And when we start to just go, God, I'm willing to let you in a little bit more. I'm willing to trust you a little bit more. I'm willing to let your word align with your character. And I'm going to give you a chance at proving your character. Then all of a sudden, the places where we start and where we've kept worrying, we start to relinquish control and see God do something incredible. And that's how I think as Christians, we have a peace that goes beyond understanding. Our world knows how to find peace by ordering what's around them. But as a Christian, we can find peace because we know who's in us. And so I think really, our worries are an invitation for God to show up in an incredible way. And I think that's why Paul can look at his life, he can look at his situation, he can look at his circumstance and go, no, don't worry about anything. It's all, it's all good. Because I know who God is. And I've seen him over and over and over again. And this is the thing, I think for a lot of us in here, what's been going on is the person who's had the throne in our hearts has been anxiety. We've given anxiety the foothold. We've given anxiety the territory in our heart. And I think today as Christians, one of the greatest things we can do is reaffirm, no, two seconds, God actually has control of my heart. He actually has control of my life. He actually has the territory in my heart because it says that he cares for me. He values me. He has good things for me. And I've actually seen it happen in the past. I saw it happen when I, when I found him. I actually went from death to life. And if that's the case, then I have a God that I know that I can trust. And we can have a peace that goes beyond anything that we could understand. So this is what I want to do. With every, um, everybody, why, why don't we all stand up together? I'm going to invite up the rest of the band. And I wonder for you, 
if there's been a battle with anxiety, maybe there's been a battle for worry. Maybe you've been looking at it and you can locate that place. Maybe for you, it's, it's your relationships. Maybe for you, it's what's been going on at work. Maybe it's your schooling and you're just feeling the pressure. You're just feeling the anxiety today and you're, you walked in here going, I'm worried. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't know how to deal with this. My stomach has been churning. I haven't been able to sleep. I've just been thinking about that situation with my spouse. I've been thinking about that work situation. I'm, inc- I'm believing that today in this moment that there's gonna be a peace that transcends all understanding. And you know what? It's not gonna come from a prayer. Although we are going to pray and I'm going to believe that God is going to do something. And if you do have even clinical anxiety, we're going to believe for that to be broken today. But there's actually something that you need to do too. Is go, God, I'm going to trust you. And this week, I'm actually going to find a practical step to start to trust you. I'm going to actually find something practical to say, man, I used to worry about this. So maybe this week, I'm actually just going to rehearse over and over again a verse of God's faithfulness. Maybe I'm just going to start to commit to having the right conversations and let some people into my worries. Maybe I'm just going to start to have the conversation with God. Maybe I'm going to start to realize and remember every single day I'm going to write on my mirror, I'm valued and I'm cared for. Whatever it is for you today, every head bowed today. If you've come in here and you're struggling with worry and anxiety, I want you to raise your hand right now. There's hands going up all over the place. If you've been facing off with worry and anxiety, there's hands up in the balcony, everywhere. And if you're on team, what I want you to do, just keep those hands up, find somebody around you, and let's start to pray for them. And what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray in a second, the band is gonna sing after that, and we're gonna believe that God is gonna do something so incredible. If you have clinical anxiety in here, what I want you to do is let the person who's praying for you know, and we're gonna believe for God to do something so incredible. So God, we thank you that God, Anxiety doesn't have the foothold of our hearts. God, we invite your peace into this room. And I pray for every single worry that people would remember their value, they would remember how much you care. I pray that there'd be a spirit of faith and trust in this place today, that we would have a new trust when it comes to those relationships, a new trust when it comes to that provision. And so in Jesus' name, fear be gone, anxiety be gone. In Jesus' name, have your way. Come on, let's sing this together. We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit mychurchcanada.com.